0: Welcome to the Manor. Welcome back to the Twin tears, Macabre Manor, Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James, and I'm Jody. Woo! It's Jody. Jody's Yay. here. Yay! <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> no matter how much penicillin I keep using. <laughs> hey, wait. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, yeah. This one's Jody's. Woo! What are Yay. we talking about today, Jody? <laughs>
1: uh today we are going to talk about the return of deep purple because it's been a while since we've done a deep purple episode
0: yeah so it's not the deep purples returned you know we're yeah. returning to deep purple
1: right <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah this episode we're going to talk about the uh, stormbringer album Woo, stormbringer yeah all right, so I, um, I, I took most of my notes from uh, the liner notes from one of the reissues of the album. Uh, I don't remember what year. I'm going to say 1999. <laughs> <That> sounds good. <laughs> um, and the, the liner notes for that release were uh, written by Simon Robinson. Cool. Who's he? Uh, um, he's the guy that wrote the liner notes for the Stormbringer album. All or, right. well, or at know. least that that or at least that release of the stormbringer i mean, now he probably wrote the ones for burn
0: too so is he is he a journalist does, does he help produce the band uh, who who was he uh i don't know okay well i i don't either <laughs> well, I'm asking, i don't know
1: <laughs> he may be some uh record company guy
0: i don't know <laughs> okay sounds good just curious <laughs>
1: Uh, so when last we left off, uh, Deep Purple had, uh, they, it was a new lineup. It was the Mark III lineup. Um, it still consisted of Richie Blackmore, John Lord, and Ian Pace, but they had uh, brought in David Coverdale to be lead vocalist and uh, sharing lead vocals, but also playing bass was Glenn Hughes. And of course, they replaced Ian Gillen and, and uh, Roger Glover. Um, they had released an album called Burn. And uh, so they, they were on tour for Byrne. Uh, that tour ended in May of 1974. And the next month, June, they spent on uh, various solo projects and such by the various members. And they would reconvene in early July to start work on a new album. Uh, the rehearsals were held again at Clearwell Castle in Wales. Uh, the rehearsals were held between playing soccer and shooting air rifles in the woods.
0: <laughs> and seances. And seances, yeah, I think they did some of that too. Yeah, Richie, Richie liked to do seances, <laughs> and I know he did it on one of the other albums that we talked, Fireball. I, yeah. I do believe.
1: Yeah, one of the guys that was part of the crew, I guess, was was there with him. Um, I didn't, I didn't write this down, but I remembered this story. Um, so they did a seance, and it was uh, Richie and Glenn Hughes and this this guy from the crew, and uh, not
0: Molly crew, just you know their crew, right? Yeah,
1: their their crew yeah
0: because you know that'd be cool
1: (laughs) yeah um and i guess they were they were in the basement of clearwell castle and so they're they're down there doing the seance and it was like the guy from the crew he'd grown up on a farm and they had this cow and the cow died i don't know died or been slaughtered for meat or whatever but um i i I, all i know is from what was described it was like they all or, or at least glenn and the guy from the the you know, the, the crew guy ran out of the basement because they actually made contact with the cow when they tried. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> now, now I've been to some seances <laughs> and I've, and I've seen some weird shit. Yes. So I'm not going to say it's impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go, go back and listen to that episode. <laughs> that's uh that,
1: that was it was uh one of the first five or ten episodes
0: <laughs> it is way back there <laughs> that yeah. yeah um but
1: uh according to an interview given by keyboardist john lord they uh, they worked up about 15 songs and uh they uh thought they could possibly wind up with a double album
0: you know so that's what i heard mm-hmm. is that they, they had enough songs for well i heard a couple things like lord yeah. So they had 14 or 15 songs. Um, not sure I, I couldn't see any, I couldn't find anything more about them other than the nine on the album. But but then one of the guys in the band also said two of those nine songs are kind of filler and had to be written in the studio because they needed to flush the album out, which seems weird if they had 14 or 15.
1: Right, yeah. And uh, most most of the material was written by John Lord and singer David Coverdale. And and Lord would later say that guitarist Richie blackmore produced less and less good ideas according to coverdale um this is kind of along what you were saying they didn't have any completed songs when rehearsals ended and they um went into the studio um, which was musicland studios in munich germany and that's where they recorded the bulk of the album so yeah that that doesn't surprise me that they actually did have to finish a couple of songs or, or create a couple of songs in you know in the studio and they were, they were there from uh, August 8th until August 20th. And they did come up with nine songs to to complete the album. And one of the songs that was proposed by Richie Blackmore, though, and this, see, this may be where John Lord was kind of talking about. They, they had more songs. A lot of Blackmore's ideas were rejected by the band, surprisingly, because, you know, Richie writes 80% of the material, remember?
0: Oh, yeah yeah yeah, 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 most of them,
1: yeah. So he apparently had a lot of ideas that the rest of the band just kind of said, no, it doesn't, you know, work with. OK. And apparently he wasn't really focused on what was going on. He was kind of loosening his grip a little bit kind of stuff. Well,
0: a couple reasons. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But um, he actually proposed a song. It was actually a cover, which they hadn't done since really on an album since the mark one lineup um but it was a song oh yes sorry i know what it is but go ahead <laughs> um, well yeah yeah there it was a song by a band called quarter mass and it was called black sheep of the family it, that's going to come up again later and but the rest of the band like you know like uh, most of his ideas they rejected it and he he shelved the idea like he did with most of the ones he had uh but you know i mean this is richie blackmore he usually got his way with it got his way you know Usually, and I, yeah
0: uh, yeah, um, yeah and, no, and just, then and,
1: and uh, then like i said you know he, he he even admitted that he let his grip relax and you know this this album <laughs> as you'll see kind of gets away from him
0: <laughs> well yeah he's going through a divorce
1: yeah he was he was going through some stuff and and that kind of you know played into it so
0: and uh and hughes now that he'd been in the band for another album was actually mm-hmm. saying hey this is my band too and i want to do things and between also having a more forceful personality and and being uh blitzed out on on cocaine <laughs> yeah i was Getting i was more gonna more get to the cocaine there in a minute yeah <laughs> so yeah it's a uh, yeah <laughs> what are you gonna do yeah hey uh yeah, real quick yeah you know how you talked about maybe doing a double album uh-huh uh, i read that they actually thought about doing it where each member got a side
1: oh that would have been interesting
0: yeah well of course there are five members so i'm not sure out of four sides how they would do that um Um,
1: i the only thing i could think of is maybe coverdale and hughes since they were both singing maybe and and we're both the new guys true you know i that's the only thing i could think of i don't know
0: yeah that might have been kind of kind of like the uh kind of like the kiss albums yeah, the solo albums. Yeah, the yeah. solo, albums, but they're still Kiss, and this just would have been Deep Purple, but with like sides. I don't know. It might have been yeah. neat. Yeah, would have been different. So anyways, anyway, yeah. So the album
1: was uh, mostly finished in, in, like I said, in, in uh, Munich, music, musically in studios. So at that point, they they headed to the U.S. They had to do some uh, shows here in the in the U.S. Um, I think it was like four stadium shows. Uh, including one at the Astrodome in Houston, Texas. And, uh, you know, like James just mentioned, Glenn Hughes uh, doing cocaine. Um, apparently, that's that's kind of where he started, uh, according to what they said in the liner notes, was that uh, at, at that show, somebody got him to try cocaine and that led to his addiction. But if you know anything about Glenn Hughes' career, um, it was largely over the years derailed by his addiction um it, it lasted well into the 80s um he he actually like former deep purple singer ian gillen he wound up in black sabbath he actually was on the the very next album after the one that ian gillen did and um he got fired before the tour even started because he couldn't keep it together because he was he was so loaded up on cocaine tony Iomi fired him i think tony actually punched him in the nose (laughs) if i remember correctly um but they they, uh, glenn got cleaned up eventually and and he and tony you know uh straightened it out and everything and and they they actually did work together later on um and kind of kind of did an album that tony wound up putting out a little bit later but uh but yeah uh the the houston show was also um the largest payday i think they'd had for a single show um and and of course uh
0: real quick because you went from the you went from the cocaine into the other thing yeah uh i can't remember if it was lord or or pace but they kind of they kind of made it everything seem like it wasn't that big of a deal for their drug addictions because it's like yeah little snort here a little smoke here a little drink here (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, well it's probably did not help no yeah
1: (laughs) um But yeah, at at the show at the Houston Astrodome, um, they made the, uh, at the time, it was like 40,000 pounds. So British pounds. So that for them was the biggest, I think, single payday they'd had for a, a show. And then after those shows, they went to the record plant studios in Los Angeles where they actually finished the album. And I think what they did there was mostly the vocals. I think they had the basic tracks pretty much done. Nice. Again, they had Martin Birch. And, uh, it, you know, when, when they get to the album finished at Los Angeles, he starts mixing um, and drummer Ian Pace kind of tags along with him to uh, he, he wanted to learn the process because former bass player Roger Glover had some success going into producing um,
0: right at this time. Um... Because I got that almost said it earlier when you talked about that. So that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So past member Glover was working with Purple Records still, and he produced mm-hmm. Elf's, uh Ronnie James Dio's band Elf. Yeah. Uh, their Carolina Country Ball that was released in 74, same year Stormbringer. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh well released on Purple in the UK and MGM elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but also Nazareth's rampant album it was is his third time working with them and and last but yeah that's what he's doing this year with at least a couple bands that are well known to probably anybody listening to our yeah and uh, um, a couple years
1: down the road from this he will produce sin after sin by judas priest but the the band had kind of taken a turn on this album the songs were more in a funk style instead of hard rock now there there are still uh, well and we'll get into the songs but there are still a couple of hard rock songs on the album but yeah the majority of the songs are more of a funk style and that's because you've got glenn hughes and david coverdale in the band and like james was saying you know this was that's the kind of stuff that hughes was starting to get into before he joined purple
0: yeah he he even said that he and coverdale uh being more northerners Mm -hmm. uh, that that was a lot of the stuff they list they listened to a lot of r&b yeah it was popular where they grew up and when they were you know becoming musicians so yeah, yeah it was funkier yeah. And it pissed off uh, Richie Blackmore when Hughes would say he's a funky guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> he,
1: yeah, he did. That was in the liner notes, too. <laughs> well, not that Richie got pissed, but that Hughes would say it.
0: <laughs> well, you know, when you call funk shoeshine music, which is <clears throat> vaguely racist. <laughs> yeah,
1: actually, yeah, I was going to mention that here. He did that. Yeah, it's, um, you know, uh, uh, yeah and, and I, I i don't i'm not gonna say richie is or isn't racist because i don't know
0: i don't either and then back yeah. in the day i mean uh, we said all sorts of shit about rap and stuff not yeah. about racist. we just hated that music right ours and but it does come across as that because it's obviously you know
1: right and that and and, and that's kind of what richie said later on was that he he liked a lot of black artists but he liked the ones that did rock and roll. So, and, and, and I've talked about how they did um, uh, cover little Richard's Good Golly, or not Good Golly, Miss Molly, Lucille. And, and actually, uh, I think it's the, the, uh, the, 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 um, the Who Do We Think We Are episode, or one of them, um, we talked about that. And I actually pl- uh, played uh, a snippet of, of them doing it live you know but um so so what richie was saying was he, he liked he liked some black artists he he liked the ones that played rock and roll he he didn't like funk as a style i i'm not that big on it but i i can listen to it yeah
0: you know? I, I don't like it much either and i mean like us we love jimmy hendrix we loved uh thin Lizzy. yeah you know uh living color i thought they were kick-ass in oh the, they, yeah early, 80s, early 90s yeah so yeah it's not a color thing it's more of a I, I like the yeah, style. it's it's yeah, it's it's more of
1: a style thing. And um, although you know, as as much as I don't like rap, I do like, even though I haven't listened to it in years, I I liked you know the early Run DMC stuff when I first heard it. I liked the, the Fat Boys, <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know. Um, no, so, I did, yeah, but I I appreciate the fact that they're singing because that's that's their way of getting out the anger and and being yeah. social commentary exactly yeah so nobody in the band apparently
1: realized that or or didn't at least recall that blackmore had any issues with the direction the band was going while they were recording
0: well yeah (laughs) must have been during the recording and the mixing and everything because they yeah you can kind of tell that they tuned him down a little like turned him down a little bit too (laughs) yeah it's not up in front like it always is
1: well i see but martin birch did notice it
0: Oh yeah. Well, that's my note. So you must have it. Yeah. You, yeah. You go. <laughs> well, I've got,
1: a, I've got a quote from him. Uh, the funk thing started to creep in. It wasn't going the way Richie wanted. And by the time it came to the mixing stage, he'd lost interest completely. So that's uh, that was the quote from Martin Birch regarding that. Yeah. So was that, Perfect. was that what you had?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't do the quote, but I said, Martin Birch said that the funk had really crept in during the mixing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you check out even more is, is what I wrote. <laughs> yeah. But,
1: you know, and, and some other stuff was going on, though, too, because this was the first album that they they mixed in the U.S. instead of back in the U.K. The sleeve design was developed in the U.S. instead of back in the U.K., which, which actually made sense because at this point they were basically in tax exile, which I know we've talked about in several different or, or at least a couple of other episodes. Um, so they were basically living in the States while they were touring anyway, or while they were not touring. Yeah
0: were you going to talk about the album cover at all in a little bit
1: um i you just mentioned it i was a little bit later on but if you want to then go ahead
0: i, I was just going to mention that the with the pegasus and rainbow things sort of foreshadows rainbow but yeah the tornado was an actual photo taken by a young girl in the 1920s named lucy hanberg mm-hmm. united states and kind of put her life at risk to go outside and take that picture but it's also used. You'll see it's actually reversed on Deep Purple's. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see it in the direction it was actually taken on Miles Davis's "Bitches Brew" and uh, one of the Susie and the Banshees albums. Yeah, Tinderbox. Yeah. yeah. So, so okay. Well, that
1: um, actually, you hit on both things I was going to say there. Woo! Yeah, I, I think that foreshadowing was unintentional with the with the rainbow <laughs> coming off of the Pegasus. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I do too, and, and I'm assuming when we get to one of the like the first song, maybe we'll we'll kind of, I I don't know what you have on that, but
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about why there's probably a Pegasus on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so so yeah, so after they you know finish the recording in L.A. And, and you know the mixings going on and everything, in September they go back to Europe, not the U.K. but mainland Europe, to start another European tour. And that's uh, September 18th was the, the date. And I don't know where, I just know that was in Germany. And then they toured some some there in, in Europe. And then uh, uh, they came back to the U.S. Uh, for the third tour in less than a year. And uh, finally, the album was released on December 10th, 1974. Uh, and as we mentioned before, there are nine songs, uh, which is the most on any Deep Purple studio album to that point. Because if you remember on Burn, they'd had eight songs, which was tied for the most since i think the debut album uh yeah that sounds right yeah and again coverdale and hughes were splitting vocals coverdale i think got the majority hughes gets one where he's all by himself on it and uh uh, coverdale also gets one where it's just him and uh martin birch again thought there was some tension over who was going to sing what but glenn hughes said that there was no arguing
0: I didn't know about Martin Birch's quote, but I know Hughes said that they were he and Coverdale got along really well with splitting things up.
1: Yeah, and and I, I had this a little later in my notes, but I'll go ahead and mention it now since I just mentioned that uh, Hughes he mentioned at one point that there was probably more tension during the recording of Burn because they were yeah um, he there was more tension between everyone during the burn sessions since they were still getting to know each other and that there was less tension during this one because they'd established themselves. They knew each other. They'd been on the road, you know,
0: but the, uh, the songs, the nine songs. Ooh, uh, um, be- before we go to the songs. Yeah. Can I talk uh, about a couple things that I had? Sure. Yeah. Uh, J- Jody's not used to me having many notes on deep purple. <laughs> nope. I-, I-, I shocked him this time and last time, I think with the <laughs> number of notes I had yeah that's that's good though Woo, and um so th- this is just more of of the people mm-hmm. uh so one of the things i read and and this might be a little iffy because I, I read that kind of this is the time that blackmore was starting to think about rock and roll music with with renaissance music in a combination but yes uh, for some reason okay so uh, okay I, I couldn't tell if it was here or a little bit sooner although i read it was during this this period yeah uh, but one of my favorite things was how he was kind of talking smack about the blues because he is classically trained and i will use trills i don't do the hated blues bins and devils notes which first is bullshit because if it's, you're using a tremble, tremolo bar there yeah more than then i've heard you do bends
1: <laughs> and and something else i noticed on this album is he used a lot of slide guitar
0: oh yeah i got a couple notes on that when we get to the songs but yeah and yeah use the slide well things for slides <laughs> yeah but yeah he, he did bends he used the bar you slides yeah you're using the blue stuff richie mm-hmm. and, and by the way if, if you're wanting a trill for the guitar just uh series of hammer ons and pull offs. it's just a, and it's just a bloop, you know. yeah but for, for our listeners you know that that's the exact appropriate way that any musical instructor yes <laughs> 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 uh and uh let's see i know he said that so said that's said that oh Blackmore was trying to get Coverdale to write lyrics that were less about the rock and roll lifestyle and more about wizards and dragons, huh. <laughs> which maybe is some foreshadowing. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And uh, so we well, let's see that, that, that and it's the first time in quite a while or the first time. Yeah, quite a while. Not the first time, though. Right. I think that all the songs weren't credited to every member, but rather like Richie's not credited on two of the songs at all. Which right. Is, Rare, yes, Um, but yeah, as they actually had some fight, and this maybe is where some of the issues came from. They had to fight to get their songs on there because that's how you get your songwriting credit and you get your your money, yes, which is kind of why I like the Zeppelin way. Where you know, after Robert was able to get out of CBS, as you know, his contract was up, they're just all songs written by all four man band members. You all get Mm -hmm. credit, there's no fighting, you all collaborate,
1: yeah. And Sabbath did that same thing, and and early you know like you just mentioned this was like one of the first times deep purple didn't do that sabbath did that in the early years with Ozzy. i know that and then at some point i think they stopped
0: but and otherwise i think the only other note i have i've got a neat little bit of trivia that i can get to anytime you want uh, but other than that and the songs i just had one thing that blackmore said there will not be funk on the next album it'll be straight up rock and roll which i suppose te- technically he or, was for him
1: t- technically for him he was
0: right Yeah, that was a little foreshadowing. They they said you was gonna play rock and roll. They was right. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Other than one little neat bit of trivia that I can do now or later, Uh, let's do it later. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I'm good. Yeah, you go on with yourself, and I think I'm good, except for some notes on half the songs.
1: Okay. Um, yeah, so the songs consist of, uh, the opening track is the title track, Stormbringer. It is about, uh, according to is about some sort of mythological creature capable of doing a great deal of destruction. Um, it actually wasn't until later, and I don't know if it was like right after the album came out or a couple of years later or, or what. Uh, but it wasn't until later that he, he learned about Michael Moorcock's Elric
0: saga. And the sword Stormbringer, which really is the only mythological thing called Stormbringer that I could find. I even looked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't,
1: I don't think he was really thinking that was the name of the mythological thing.
0: I just think he thought that was a really good name. <laughs> and that, that works too. I mean, it's yeah, not unusual for different people to come up with the same name as something. Right. Yeah.
1: Which which is funny because later on, uh, Michael Moorcock would do some work with Blue Oyster Cult. He yeah. actually he actually wrote some lyrics for Blue Oyster Cult. Um, one of those songs was called "Black Blade," which was about Stormbringer, the the, the sword. <laughs> the demon. Bruh. Yeah. So there, a fun fact about the song Stormbringer: at the beginning of the song, there is a a kind of a, a, this. You you hear this growling. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's, it's actually a backwards recording of David Coverdale. And what he's doing is he's reciting a bit of dialogue from the exorcist.
0: <laughs> from Linda Blair's character.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, um, some of the, some of the cursing that she
0: does. A <laughs> little, little more, the, the more graphic.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what, what, uh, what the liner notes said basically was that it was Coverdale yelling obscenities <laughs> But, but he's not really yelling. It is more of a growl. I mean, you can you can hear it. It's it's buried in the mix a little bit, so it's not at the front, but you can hear it. It's just, it's just kind of this this low, you know.
0: <laughs> is it is it the uh, is it the your mother sex cocks in hell? Is it, is I think that, it is. That's
1: yeah, yeah. I think that's it. But yeah, I uh, that, that's hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's up there with Nico. <laughs> doing the backwards thing on the maiden oh yeah <laughs> 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 uh, go back and listen to that one too <laughs> <Yep>. oh <laughs> Oh yeah uh
1: so the next song on the album is so, uh were you gonna
0: we you gonna mention oh. on the first one the 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 hook rainbow the the lyrics um no go ahead All right well and and I'm not sure how much I, we've already foreshadowed and mentioned it. So it's yeah. not like it's a huge shock that there's going to be a band coming up called rainbow that Richie Blackmore's in. Yeah. And, and I don't know if Richie said it, but a lot of people assume that the hook in the song, the line where it talks about rainbows and and stuff. Yeah. Is is where he got the, the idea for the band name.
1: I, you know, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I really don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I'm not sure either. You know,
1: I, that's, I yeah I, the, the liner notes didn't say anything about it. Um, actually, the liner notes didn't mention anything about the rainbow on the album cover.
0: I wonder
1: why. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I when I was when I was writing my notes about the album cover, and I, I, I wrote down you know that's, there, there's a Pegasus on the cover, and, and I looked at the cover again. And I went and there's a rainbow. <laughs> it's not it's not your typical rainbow, right? It's it's more of a rainbow effect that's coming off of the uh, the Pegasus, but when you look at it, you, you you very much see that it is a rainbow, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's um anyway, yeah, it's uh <laughs> <laughs> um so the the next song on the album uh was uh it's it's love don't mean a thing, and this one this one has an interesting uh, story to it. Um, kind of came about when. Uh, they were, they were in Chicago. I, I'm guessing this was on the burn tour and uh, Rich, I guess Richie Blackboard's walking down the street and he sees this uh, African-American black, this this black guy, um, a, a busker, a, a street busker. So there's a guy, a black guy with a guitar standing on the street corner playing music, probably with his guitar case open. So people can put coins in it, you know, yeah, or, or dollars what or whatever. Does. Does.
0: Yeah. yeah. Plays yeah. in public to get some
1: cash. And, um, So Richie hears him and he likes what he hears and he invites him back to the the starship because at this point, deep purple had the starship, the airplane that Led Zeppelin had nicknamed the starship. I think. Um, I know Zeppelin had it first.
0: (laughs) It's it's all good. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Was that where we, we've passed Zeppelin's time period of where we are, but we're going to do some more this year. Yay. Um,
1: So they, I, in the plane they had set up an area where they could jam and so richie bring, brings this guy back and he he sits in with the band and jams and he he shows them the song and after jamming on it for a bit um they they get it down the guy leaves and no one could remember his name afterwards <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they they couldn't give him songwriting credit on the album
0: and, and they actually tried right they yeah they were going to and yeah because he they they paid him so they could kind of record it and work it out after he helped them and the guy even helped hughes and coverdale write the lyrics from what hughes hughes said yeah. and yeah and of course this does help show that richie's probably not racist he was just right probably not using a very good term for funk music just, yeah you
1: know. well again it was 1974 and i won't yeah it, it it's, it's it's still not acceptable term an acceptable term but back in 1974 it would have been more accepted than it would be today (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh holy man uh is the third song on the album and that is the one solo vocal for glenn hughes
0: um
1: and i i i like it i I like holy man i think that's that's a pretty good song
0: and actually i only did notes on the ones that kind of had a neat story like like Mm -hmm. love don't mean a thing because i don't like the song but i love the story yeah I, I like the song it's just not a you know yeah but, yeah I, I i like holy man it's good yeah uh you were talking about doing slides uh slide solos yes and on this particular one isn't this one richie uh glenn asked asked richie to do a slide solo he's like hey go get the slide and do a slide solo And instead of going across the room which would have been a few feet uh-huh. he grabs a screwdriver that's sitting <laughs> there and uses a screwdriver <laughs> just and, and, and from what i i've read it's not that he looked at hughes and was like going motherfucker he just it's almost like he couldn't be bothered and yeah <laughs> I, I
1: i'm under the impression that was pretty much richie's attitude the whole time was i, I can't really be bothered
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so and then there's a more slide in one of the other songs that he uses a slide on yeah. but yeah it's, this is a screwdriver it's, it's really damn good <laughs> yeah yeah actually it is
1: um now Okay, so speaking of the guitar solos, um, I was getting ready to go on to Hold On, and that's the guitar solo on the album that everybody in the band, except maybe Richie, was raving about, was for the song Hold On. And um, so this the song was largely written by John Lord, but apparently Blackmore was very blasé about the solo. He just, yeah, whatever, and he ripped something off. Uh, not not ripped it off, but, you know, just...
0: It, <laughs> it just Pull it out of his hat you yeah know. yeah so,
1: it, but it still amazed everybody and richie was just like yeah whatever <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's, that's, that seems right <laughs> uh, no, my uh, uh my favorite part of this song is is that hughes was hanging out because uh, david bowie was around and you know hughes knows yeah. that he's, he's, he's talking to him and he and stevie wonders there yes and then he uh brings stevie in while coverdale's doing the vocals and Coverdale hated for people to watch him do the vocals, and he's like, "Who the fuck is this?" And he's like, and then he finds out Stevie Wonder's like, "Oh shit, Stevie Wonder!" And they all jam together, and yeah, <laughs> hang out, <and laughs> yeah.
1: Actually, I, I've got a note about Stevie Wonder being there. I'll get to that in a minute.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't see it here. <laughs> is he- Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, uh, hold on. There was actually, you, you mentioned Bowie. There was actually some talk of Bowie doing a cover of that. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I don't. Um, and I'll be honest. Cause I'm not, I, I like Bowie, but I'm not a huge fan. So I don't have a lot of Bowie albums. So I, maybe he did cover it. And I, I they just didn't say that he actually covered it in the liner notes, but th- there it, it was discussed that Bowie was interested in doing that song. But that was followed by Lady Double Dealer, uh, which along with the title track Stormbringer was one of the two actual hard rock songs on the album. Um was uh written by Blackmore and Coverdale.
0: Not one of my favorite on here. Not sure. No, no, it's it's almost I don't actually like the album much because it is too funky for me, also. And yeah, a couple of hard rock, some funk. It's not a very cohesive no album. But I yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um so as, uh, the, the
1: next one after that is you can't do it right. And this, this is the, the Stevie wonder story that I had. Um, so he, I don't know which album he was working on, but he was, he was also working at uh, the record plant. So he's, he's in the same building that they are. And uh, Glenn Hughes goes to the bathroom and there's Stevie wonder. <laughs> 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 and, and he's like, oh damn Stevie Wonder you know so he invites Stevie back to listen to the mix of you can't do it right and um, I guess uh, according to Hughes uh, Stevie's reaction was to ask him if he was sure he was white <laughs> because Hughes was the one who did most of the vocals so Stevie's reaction was you you, you sound black <laughs> yeah. wow. So, yeah, it's great yeah yeah and 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 that's the thing uh, the, the glenn hughes and david coverdale were both big fans of stevie so when uh so so when 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 coverdale had that reaction when he was trying to record those vocals he was yeah he was he was actually he was kind of mortified when he realized it was stu- because <laughs> i guess the what what he said was uh whoever's making that noise in there fuck off because he couldn't see who was in the booth <laughs> and so Glenn escorted Stevie out of the booth, <laughs> and then David found out later it was Stevie, and he was like, oh, fuck.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so so the, the the next song after that, um, supposedly Richie Blackmore didn't even know what the finished title of the song was. Uh, it's a Highball Shooter, and I'll be honest, I just listened to this album while I was finishing up my notes, and I, it really, it doesn't stand out to me.
0: It's one of the two songs that they just kind of did in the studio to round yeah. out the album. So it's, yeah.
1: Now the gypsy is one of Blackmore's actually favorite
0: songs from what I understood. And I, this is the other, the second one that was just done just to round out the album, but I actually really like this song. I, yeah, like, I dig this one. A yeah. Lot. Bla- Blackmore and Hughes both, I think kind of said this was their favorite song on the album. No. Also, I don't know, little foreshadowing of a rainbow direction. Kind of. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Actually, Richie probably likes it. Yeah.
1: Um, Now, uh, you you mentioned earlier about the the medieval uh, medieval music kind of classical stuff that Richie was starting to get into and the the vocals on this. So it's it's Hughes and Coverdale actually singing and making use of what they call a, a parallel organum. Where two voices sing at an interval of either a fifth or a fourth, or in Deep Purple's case, a third and a fifth, and that is kind of where Blackmore is starting to incorporate some of that medieval stuff into the the music. Of course, I don't know that Blackmore came up with that. I, you know, I just that was <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, yeah, it coulda, yeah, but that was that was something uh, you know that that goes back to medieval times and you know just doing yeah like 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 monks in the church choir or whatever would do that kind of stuff um yeah so they, they kind of worked it into the gypsy and it's it's, it's more of a laid-back song um but not not necessarily a lot of funk in it, it i wouldn't call it hard rock but uh, yeah it's, no, it's a really it's
0: not hard rock it's not funk it's, it's me.
1: yeah it's a really good song um and and yeah i think that it's you can kind of see that's kind of the direction Richie's getting ready to go in. So the last song on the album is actually, it's it's one of my all time favorite deep purple songs. Um, it's soldier of fortune. And uh, I've, I've loved the song ever since the first time I heard it, um, which I didn't even hear the whole song. Uh, it, it was on a live album that came out later in the seventies. And uh, it, it was, I think just one verse and one chorus. Um, and it was actually uh, during John Lord's organ solo he started playing it and then David Coverdale came in and, and sang just that verse and chorus and then John Lord went on to something else but yeah Soldier of Fortune and uh, it's I, I think it's one of Coverdale's best vocal performances out of his career I just I, I, I like this one too yeah to uh, it's it's a really good song it's, it's Coverdale's only solo vocal on the album and it's it's a rare occasion for Blackmore to break out the acoustic guitar.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is a uh, not very not for a while. Yeah, yeah, written by Coverdale and Blackmore, and um I listened to this when I was doing my notes too a couple times, but I, I finished my because I didn't do as in depth the notes as you did, so I finished a while back. Right. Uh, the, the the gypsy trails off, right? Like it kind of goes long at the end. I think so. Yeah, uh, and, and I was. Uh, I, I was fairly I'm not sure why i didn't write this down i thought i did and it's not here uh, but i i thought i'm torn that that would be a really neat way to end the album because the gypsies are really good song and it would just kind of end out and it'd be done yeah and then you you actually end with soldier of fortune which uh most of the band didn't really like except for Coverdale and blackmore for the most part from yeah. what i understand even even though it sounds like we do mm-hmm. uh and i'm thinking you know maybe they shouldn't have done this at the end maybe they should have put this in the middle because it's sort of a slower song you know yeah it,
1: it but, might have been a good song to inside one on
0: yeah but but then i thought about it and the more i think about it it, it maybe is perfect as yeah. an ending for this particular album because of <laughs> the changes. But, yeah, yeah I, I dig this song it's it's uh well Coverdale said he and Blackmore like jethro tall and bach and english folk music mm-hmm. where some of the styles in the song come from and we like those things yeah so yeah it's it's yeah when when you think about the song i I would have ended side one with a two but then i'm like well you know (laughs) given what happens in actual life (laughs) yeah Okay,
1: (laughs) but uh yeah I, i did i did read that in the liner notes about the rest of the band not really liking it because the bass and drums don't come in until late in the song yeah they
0: don't have much to do
1: yeah so so it was like when they're when they were actually doing it you got glenn hughes and ian pace just kind of sitting around with their fingers up their nose waiting for, <laughs> waiting for their parts to come in because it's largely it's 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 coverdale and richie and and john lord on the organ so
0: and this will be the last song that coverdale and blackmore ever worked on together right and hughes with blackmore yeah yeah oops well you can take that out if you don't want to foreshadow that much <laughs>
1: um no 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 that's that's fine
0: i'll leave that
1: in there yeah so that's it for the songs and like i said it came out in december but they were already back on tour in november and uh when the album finally does come out blackmore almost immediately starts bashing it <laughs> I'm complaining about the flunk influence flunk the, the, the funk, funk influences,
0: influences. <laughs> The funk influence <laughs>
1: Uh, over the years the consensus uh, minus blackmore is that it's actually a good album it's just not a good deep purple album um, and, and the musicianship is there and, and for the most part the songwriting is there but um, yeah it's it's more of a funk album than a hard rock album which makes it
0: less of a deep purple album you know so yeah, the, the keyboards are there's a lot of synth for a change there is yeah, so not, yeah. not as much organ as usual mm-hmm which is it's still good. I mean, it's still fantastic work, but it, it, yeah. it's a sound.
1: Yeah. Um, when the album came out, they largely kept the set list on tour the same. They did drop a couple of the songs from Burn, and they did add uh, the title track. Uh, they added the Gypsy and Lady Double Dealer to the set list. So, yeah. I read that, but I didn't have it in my notes. So yeah. when you said, it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and starting at this point for the tour... Uh, they added two bands as opening <laughs> acts. Uh, one of them was Electric Light Orchestra. Uh, the yeah. other one was the band it's James the, mentioned uh, earlier, Elf. Yeah. Um, that had originally been, uh, well, <laughs> the name goes back even farther. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, but at one point, they were the Electric Elves, and then just Elves, and then Elf. And they were led by their singer-slash-bass player, Ronald James Patavona, A.K.A. Ronnie James Dio, <laughs> and they had actually uh, on and off been the opening act for Deep Purple since 1972. So they'd already, you know, they'd already known each other for a couple of years at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean their albums were produced by Roger Glover. Ian Pace helped, yeah, you know, yeah. with a lot of their stuff, and
1: yeah, Pacey did. And I've got, um I've got the first album and see that's that's what was really cool um the the first elf album and I mean, we may mention this because i do want to kind of talk about elf in an episode on their own but um you know every everybody knows ronnie james dio as ronnie james dio uh, his his real last name was Padavona, and he is actually credited on the first album under the name Padavona because um he did that to honor the family name on the first album and hey, but cool. but professionally he was already going by dio and elf well i you know i'll I'll talk about that when we actually do an album an episode on elf i'll talk about the style they actually played because it would not be what you think
0: (laughs) there's a reason i've ever i've never actually bought their albums
1: (laughs) i i like it you know i i do like it it's it's when you think of dio you think of a style of music and it's not what dio (laughs) was known for um which is really funny so uh, but during a break in the touring uh, near the end of December, so I'm guessing around the Christmas holidays, you know, uh, Blackmore asked Dio and uh, some of the other, I, at least one of the other guys from Elf and a couple of the guys from ELO or no, no, it was one person from ELO.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, one of the one of the Willberries, right? No. Oh, that's right. Sorry. That's yeah. just that's just Jeff. Yeah, um, it was Wilbury.
1: it was uh, it was a cello player that was it was. Yeah, you know, ELO e- electric light orchestra so th- there was a cello player and so Richie asked them and he asked Dio and uh, a couple of the other guys from Elf to uh, help him record the song Black Sheep of the Family that he had wanted to do on Stormbringer <laughs> and the rest of Deep Purple said no so they go in and they uh, they record that and I think they they recorded another song he was he was just he was just going to put out a single he's going to put a Black Sheep of the, the Family and uh Another song he had written called 16th Century Greensleeves, which I like. <laughs> Both of those songs I like. It's, um, good. it's good. Yeah, and uh, he was just thinking you know, he'll put out a solo single, um, but he was so pleased with the way that these two songs turned out that he decided to go ahead and do a full album, which was not that big of a deal because John Lord had already done a couple of solo projects and was planning on doing more. So it, it really wasn't out of the ordinary for somebody in deep purple to say hey i'm going to do kind of a side project real quick while we got a break
0: yeah it wasn't i mean even in 1974 he did window uh lord did windows yeah. in first of the big bands you know so yeah
1: yeah and and we've talked about that album i think we talked about it in one of the burn episodes yeah or the burn episode i don't remember how many we did now
0: yeah because Burn came <laughs> out in 74 too right well, yeah
1: yeah it, it came out in early 74 it's like yeah. february or something yeah uh, I, which actually if i remember right was the first time since the first two albums came out that they had released two studio albums in the same year same, cal- same calendar year yeah he uh, blackmore actually offered david coverdale the chance to come in and sing on this on on his album and uh, i guess he played him some of the demos and coverdale was like most of that's the songs that you brought in that we rejected for stormbringer <laughs> <laughs> and mm-hmm. i and i guess coverdale kind of felt like it would it would be regressing to go back to that style after they had kind of gone in a different direction on Stormringer, I don't I don't know why that would be a big deal on somebody else's solo album, right. you know. But yeah, that's kind of the way Coverdale looked at it. He was like, "Oh, it's kind of regressing, and we already rejected those." And I, so he didn't he didn't do it. But uh, they um, the the tours started back up uh, in early '75. Um, they did one show in Australia, I think, in January. It was kind of a one off show. Yeah, the um, uh,
0: Sunbury Music Festival.
1: Okay. Okay, I I didn't I didn't have that in my note because that wasn't mentioned in the liner notes. Uh, Just that they did a one off show Um, and then they had three more weeks off before they were getting ready to start another European tour. In that time, Blackmore and, and I did look this up when the album was recorded. And yes, this is when the album was recorded. Blackmore used that time to go back to Musicland Studios in Munich with Ronnie James Dio and the rest of Elf except for the guitar player (laughs) and recorded what would be released in 1970 in August of 1975 as Richie Blackmore's Rainbow which was originally just supposed to be a solo album March 16th Purple Goes Back on the Road Uh, they started off with a show in what was then Yugoslavia behind the Iron Curtain probably one of the first bands to do that I'd known not the first but one of the first it was obvious by the end of the tour that blackmore was losing interest and when he finally does announce that he's leaving the band nobody is surprised except for john lord who uh coverdale said kind of felt like he was blindsided because he'd been with richie for like seven years in this band and you know all of a sudden richie's leaving
0: yeah 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 i guess maybe just thought everything was fine some people are more laid back and don't see the shit going on yeah that yeah that
1: could be um so that that's it that's 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 the end of the mark three lineup he would uh blackmore would push ahead with his uh, new band that was just going to be called rainbow at that point um after after the album and uh leaving deep purple to make a decision about the band's future dun 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 we'll we'll get to that <laughs> We'll get to that later. Got yeah. some other stuff we want to cover first.
0: <laughs> oh, and by the way, is Otis Woolberry that he tried to recruit? Oh, oh. Wait, sorry. That's Jeff Lynn. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, want, I, want to get that. I was,
1: I, it's funny. Um, I, I just listened to the first Traveling Woolberries album last week. <laughs> I hadn't listened to it for a while and, and just kind of, yeah, I'll listen to that. And uh, loving love that album. Love that album. I actually love both of those albums. I the
0: first one was the better of the two, but yeah, I agree. Woolberries were they were great. Yeah, but volume three is pretty good too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is which is actually volume two. <laughs>
1: yeah. Anyway,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, so I don't we, have anything else, by the way.
1: Oh, oh, you didn't, you didn't oh, have anything did. on right. on charts or anything like that. Because, because uh, I will uh, say this: the album didn't sell real well. I mean, um, it, it, it still went gold i think at least but it didn't sell as much as like
0: burn had see, see something happened in my notes because i had other notes and i do have that they're just not here but i can tell you because i remember uh it peaked i think at number 10 in the uk okay um, still, i mean still that's pretty good or number either four or ten can't remember mm-hmm. the top it did reach number one in norway cool uh it did peak in the states but not very high but it did reach gold in the states
1: yeah, yeah that's what i
0: was thinking so and then i think it got silver status in the uk but of course you know even yeah. if it peaks in the uk when the population's a lot smaller right that's that's why i got silver even though it peaked a lot higher
1: yeah yeah it's it's possible to debut at number one for that week and not sell another copy after that so <laughs> <laughs> and, and have an album really bomb even though it was a
0: number one hit you know it's a it wasn't really a hit if it only
1: sold enough to get that week but anyway
0: <laughs> like, uh, like, like kisses solo albums they 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 were shipped platinum <laughs> yep that means there were a million copies of each shipped. <laughs> didn't mean they sold that many <laughs> but... <laughs> oh I'm sorry ah I found it uh it didn't peak at number one the best place was Norway, but it was number two oh, okay. And um huh the UK charts uh sixth. Okay. Wow, that wasn't four or ten, it was six. Well, four from ten is six. Right, see yeah, exactly. That, that's <laughs> what's the difference? That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it five, uh four, five, six, ten, you know, twenty. Yeah, it's oh, twenty. There you go. USA twenty. Okay. I mean, that's still pretty good for the U S yeah. Yeah. Especially with some of the changes in the funkiness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, just, I'm trying to remember what else was coming out in 1974 that, <laughs> that they would have been competing against. I, uh, you know, kiss's first two albums came out in 74, but that's not, I mean, they, they, they weren't really selling that well at that point. Well, Aerosmith's get your wings album was out.
0: What Sabbath have out in 74. I oh, don't know. Zeppelin didn't have anything. They had a seventy-three and a seventy-five.
1: So that uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath came out around, around seventy-four, but I don't remember exactly if it was seventy-four or seventy-five. Sabbath Bloody Sabbath was seventy-three. Seventy-three. Okay, so that was even earlier. Well, when Sabotage
0: come out? Uh, seventy-five. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Well, I, I mean, okay, so yeah because it came out in 74 but it came out in december of 74 so into 1975
0: yeah true
1: yeah oh well toys in the attic
0: by aerosmith came out in 75 yeah see there you go and sabotage was july 75 so not right up against it but not right
1: yeah and i don't i don't know when uh toys in the attic came out and kiss alive wouldn't come out until september and i think nugent's debut album came out in 75 the self titled one
0: physical graffiti was February 75. Ah, so see, there's one it would have been up against one that a lot of people find to be zeppelin's best. Not me, but I can see the argument, I can see it. Don't agree, but I can see it. <laughs> uh, no comment, yeah. we'll get there sometime. I, <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll save
1: that for when we get there. Um, yeah. I love the album, but uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I, I it's uh, peaking at number 20. That's pretty good, not bad, yeah. it's it's a good album i mean it's it's worth checking out if you don't mind you know trying to and and you know it's it's funk but it's not like i mean it's not that funky but it is funk i mean you you hear it
0: (laughs) not gonna take you to funky town but right yeah on the bus yeah wait wouldn't the bus take you to funky town never mind it might i don't know what the hell i'm talking about
1: i don't either (laughs) Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, I <laughs> for once I'm not going to say go out and buy this album, but check it out on Spotify or, or you know whatever streaming service you've got if they've got Deep Purple on there. Um, yeah, check it out. Um, I, the the title track is really good. Soldier Fortune's really good. We both like the Gypsy. You know, Hold On is really good. The harmony vocals on Hold On, man, that's that I can't get that out of my head right now. Actually,
0: that's one of my notes that I've somehow lost in some of my versions. Yes, the harmony and that is is wonderful yeah the the yeah, i can't remember which song it was <laughs> yeah it's um
1: and and the thing was i i had listened to it you know like i said when i was finishing up my notes today i was listening to the album it really wasn't stuck in my head then it was when i was reading through my notes just now while we were recording it's been stuck in my head ever since i started talking about the song
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's got a really good hook and probably i you know i don't know if they had released that one as a single i don't I don't know that it would have sold any better than the other singles from the album did, but one of which was Stormbringer. I don't remember what the other one was. Actually, it may have been Hold On, but because Deep Purple fans, I don't know that they would have embraced that song like they did Smoke on the Water or something like that. But I think it would have gotten some airplay. And I think it could have wound up being a decent hit for them. Yeah, could have. Yeah. I mean, it's got a good hook.
0: (laughs) Yeah, uh, you can't do it right. Lady Double Dealer and Stormbringer okay. are the three singles in that order. Okay,
1: I was thinking "You Can't Do It Right" was one of them. I wasn't sure about Lady Double Dealer. I'm a little surprised that one was picked as one of the
0: singles. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't yeah yeah. Oh, well, uh, maybe that one was only released in Japan. Oh,
1: well, okay.
0: So okay. yeah, never mind. It's got the "You Can't Do It Right" was released as a single in the U.S. Lady Double Dealer in Japan and Stormbringer was the single just. I evidently released you know all, all
1: internationally yeah so yeah that's that's uh that's all i got on the uh, deep purple storm ringer album that's the end of the mark mark three lineup got some other stuff but we will get to the mark four lineup
0: yeah so go listen to it and while you're there go and listen to some more of our episodes and then share us with your friends and family
1: yeah do a marathon where you listen to all of the deep purple episodes in order
0: yes and then listen to all of our episodes in whatever damn order you want as long as you do them all
1: yeah there you go and
0: write us a review jerks <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Me too. All right. So I guess Guess that means until uh, till next time, I'm James. I'm Jody. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Are you there? Are you there? there we go i had my volume turned down for some reason i don't know if you're yeah i'm here you need to know nothing apparently get too sleepy
1: yeah um i think i'm not sure let me look through here no actually i did look over my notes. yeah i don't know what that was it's kind of funny because Ozzy gets credit for writing some of the lyrics that he didn't <laughs> write. Geezer wrote most of those lyrics. I will say that. I won't say Ozzy didn't write any lyrics, but usually usually Ozzy's thing was to come up with the melody. And that's that's part of the song. So. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, again, Ozzy did contribute, but yeah. But we'll, we'll talk more about that when we finally do Sabbath. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> A bit of trivia? Uh Uh-huh.
1: I pity the funk.